Chapter Seven of Olga Romanoff by George Griffith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven, The Spell of Circe. Breakfast passed off very pleasantly, and by the time it was over, Sergey was upon much better terms with the two Aryans than he had been on the previous day. He had taken Olga's warning and appealed to heart, and he had done so all the more easily for the reason that he felt somewhat ashamed of himself for the ill-temper and bad manners of which he had been guilty, and which their two new acquaintances had repaid with such dignified courtesy and good humour. His frankly expressed apology was accepted with such perfect good-nature, unmixed with even a suspicion of condescension that he felt at ease with them at once, and even began to regret that his destiny made it impossible for him to be their friend instead of their enemy. The discussion of their plans for the day occupied the rest of the meal. They had a whole twenty-four hours before them, for the ethereal would not be back from San Francisco, where she was going when she passed the train, until ten o'clock on the following morning. So it was arranged that they would begin the day with a sleigh-drive, a luxury which not even Aria could afford, then the two Aryans were to see the sights of the city under the guidance of Olga and Sergei, and perform the chief of the duties that brought them to St. Petersburg. After luncheon, they were to have a couple of hours on the ice in the park, into which the Usopov gardens of the nineteenth century had been expanded, after which they would see the ice palaces illuminated at dusk, then dine, and finish the day at the opera. When the airship arrived, a rapid flight was to be taken across Europe, over the Alps and back to Moscow, across Italy, Greece, and the Black Sea, which would enable Alan and Alexis to deposit their guests with their Moscow friends soon after nightfall. The sleigh drive took the form of a race on the plain stretching towards Lake Ladoga between the two troikas driven by Sergei and Olga, who had so managed matters that she had Alan for a companion, and who not a little to Sergei's disgust, won it, after a desperate struggle, by a head. The race was a revelation to the two Aryans, and when Alan handed Olga out of the sleigh after they had trotted quietly back to the city, the interest which she had excited in him during the railway journey had already begun to deepen into a sentiment much more pleasing and dangerous. The rest of the morning was devoted to driving about the city, and to paying a visit to the ancient fortress of Peter and Paul, which alone of all the fortress prisons of Russia had been preserved intact as a fitting monument of a fallen despotism, and a warning to all future generations. Once at least in his life every man in area visited this fortress, as good Muslims visit Mecca, and this was the duty which Alan and Alexis were now performing. In one of the horrible dungeons deep in the foundations of the fortress, under the waters of the Neva, they were shown a massive gold plate riveted onto the rough, damp stone wall. Its surface was kept brightly polished, and it looked strangely incongruous with the gloom and squalor of the cell. On it stood an inscription in platinum letters let into the gold. In this cell, Israel de Muska, afterwards known as Natas, 
the master of the terror was imprisoned in the year 1881, previous to his exile to Siberia by order of Alexander Romanov, the last of the tyrants of Russia. With feelings wide asunder as love and hate, or gratitude and revenge, the descendants of Natas and the daughter of Romanov's stood in front of this memorial plate and read the simple and yet pregnant words. Alan and Alexis both bent their heads as if in reverence for a moment, but Olga and Sergei gazed at it with heads erect and eyes glowing with the fires of anger in a silence that was broken by Alan saying, Liberty surely never had a stranger temple than this, and yet this dungeon is to us what the tomb of the Prophet is to the Muslims. I wonder what the last of the Tsars would have thought if he could have foreseen even a little part of all that sprang from the tragedy that was begun in this dismal cell. He would have killed him, said Olga, carried away for the moment by an irrepressible burst of passion. And then there would have been no Natas, no terror, and no terrorist air fleet, and Alexander Romanov would have died master of the world instead of a chained felon in Siberia. Your ancestor, Richard Arnold, would have starved in his garret, or killed himself in despair as many other geniuses did before him, and, and the world would have remained the slave market of tyrants and the shambles of murderous men. Let us thank God that Natas lived to do his work, said Alan in a tone of solemn reverence, wondering not a little at Olga's strange outburst, and yet not having the remotest idea of its true cause. Neither Olga nor Sergei could reply to this speech. They would have bitten their tongue through rather than say amen to it, and anything else they dare not have said. After a moment more of somewhat constrained silence, Olga turned towards the door and said, Come, let us go. The air of this place poisons me. When they got on the ice after lunch, Olga was not a little astonished to find that, perfect as she and Sergei were in skating, the two Aryans were little inferior to them, despite the fact they had just left their tropical home for the first time. "'How is this?' said Olga to Alan, as, hand in hand, they went sweeping over the ice in long, easy curves. "'I suppose you manufacture your ice for skating purposes in area?' "'No,' he said. Some of our mountains rise above the snow line, and in their upper valleys they have little lakes, so when we want a skating surface, we just pump the water up and flood them, and let it freeze. Besides this, I don't think there is any harm in me telling you that we have a, a sort of wheel skate, which runs quite as easily as steel does on ice. Ah, said Olga, possessed by a sudden thought. Then I suppose that is why the streets of your splendid city are so broad, and white and smooth. Quietly as the words were spoken, Alan's hand tightened upon hers, as he heard them with a grip that almost made her cry out with pain. It was some moments before he recovered from his astonishment sufficiently to ask her the meaning of her unexpected and amazing question. She greeted his question with a saucy smile and a mocking upward glance, and said quietly, Simply because I have seen them. It was a bow drawn at a venture. She had suddenly determined to test the truth of her vision, and hazard a description from it of the unknown land. "'You have seen them?' cried Alan, 
now more amazed than ever but pardon me even at the risk of contradicting you i must tell you that that is impossible no one not a born arian has set eyes on area for more than a hundred years so you think perhaps said she in the same quiet half-mocking tone well now listen and tell me whether this description is entirely incorrect if it is correct you need say nothing if it is not you can tell me so and then she began while he listened in a silence of utter stupefaction and described the valley and the city of area as she had seen them in her dream vision when she had finished he was silent for several moments and then said in a voice that told her that she had really seen it as though with the eyes of flesh what are you a sorceress or no you cannot be an arian girl in disguise for none ever leaves the country till she is married then as i cannot be the latter said olga you must i suppose consider me the former now i shall take my revenge for your reticence in the train yesterday and tell you no more we are quits to that extent at least and now we will go back to my brother if you please with this alan was forced to be content indeed he could not have pursued the subject without breaking his oath and so a few minutes later it came about that olga and sergey were skating together in an unfrequented part of the lake and here olga took an opportunity that she might not have again of telling him as much as she thought fit to him to know of her plans for capturing the airship on the following day i needn't tell you said she that this airship is worth everything to us and that therefore we must be ready to go to any extremities to get possession of it it is the first step to the command of the world for you heard alan say to-day that she is the swiftest vessel in the whole aryan fleet but to do that we must first overcome the crew said sergey looking anxiously about to see if there was anyone within earshot how are we going to do that two of us against ten or a dozen armed with powers we know nothing about we must find means to drug them to poison them if necessary during tomorrow's voyage came the reply in a whisper that made his heart stand still for the moment with utter horror good god is that really necessary it seems a horrible thing to do when they are trusting us and taking us as their guests he said in a low trembling voice yes she replied with a well-simulated shudder it is horrible i know but it is necessary remember that we have solemnly sworn war to the knife against this people and that armed as they are all open assault is impossible therefore they must be struck in secret or not at all now listen i have brought with me a flask which my grandfather gave me a day or two before he died it contains enough of a tasteless powerful narcotic to send twenty people to sleep so that nothing will wake them for several hours i will give you half of this to-night and keep half myself and one of us must find an opportunity to get the crew to take it in their wine or whatever they may drink for they are sure to have one or two meals while we are on board to-night i will send instructions in cipher 
to the Losenskis in Vorobievo to tell them that as many as possible of the friends must be ready for action by eight tomorrow night, and must wait, if necessary, night after night till we come. If all goes well, we shall select the new crew of the ethereal from them before we see two more sunrises. In fact, by the time we return from our voyage, we must have absolute control of the vessel. Such an opportunity as this will never offer itself again, and I, for my part, am determined to risk anything, not excepting life itself, to take the best advantage of it. It would be madness to allow any scruples to stand in our way. When the empire of the air is almost within our grasp. And none shall, so far as I am concerned, replied Sergei in a low, steady voice that showed that his horror of the deed they contemplated had succumbed, at least for the moment, to the tremendous temptation offered by the prospect of success. Spoken like a true Romanov, said Olga, looking up at him with a sweet smile of approval. As the deed is, so shall the reward be. Now we must get back to our friends. We will find a means to get an hour together before tonight to arrange the matter further, and we will have Alan and Alexis to supper with us after the opera, and then I will begin my share of the work. Once the airship is ours, we can hide her in one of the ravines of the Caucasus, hold a council of war in the villa of Vorobievo, and set about the work of the revolution in the regular fashion. The rest of the day was spent in accordance with the plans already agreed on. Olga and Sergei had tea together in their private rooms before going to the theatre and put the finishing touches to their plans for the momentous venture of the following day. And Alan and Alexis, all unsuspecting, accepted their invitation to supper after their return from the opera house. The seemingly innocent and pleasant little supper which passed off so merrily in the private sitting-room occupied by Olga and Sergei had but one incidental which calls for description here, and even that was unnoticed not only by the two guests, but by Sergei himself. Just before midnight, Olga proposed that, in accordance with the ancient custom of Russia, they should drink a glass of punch, brewed in the Russian style, and as she volunteered to brew it herself, it is needless to say that the invitation was at once accepted. The apparatus stood upon a little table in one corner of the room. For a single minute her back was turned to the three sitting at the table in the centre. Her share in the conversation was not interrupted for an instant, and no one saw a couple of drops of sparkling blue liquid fall into each of the three of the glasses from the little flask that she had concealed in the palm of her hand. And when she turned around with the little silver tray on which the glasses stood, the flask was resting at the bottom of her dress pocket. She handed a glass to each of them, and then took her own up from the side table where she had left it. She went to her place, and holding her glass up, said simply, Here's to that which each of us has nearest at heart, and drank. All followed suit, and as the clock chimed twelve, a few minutes later, the two Arians took their leave and left Olga and Sergei alone. "'You said you would begin your share of the work tonight,' 
said he, as soon as they were alone. Have you done so? If you do your work tomorrow as successfully as I have done mine tonight, replied Olga, looking steadily into his eyes as she spoke, the empire of the air will no longer be theirs. Sergei returned her glance in silence. He wanted to speak, but some superior power seemed to have laid a spell upon his will, and as long as Olga's burning eyes were fixed on his, his tongue was paralysed. Nay, more than this, his mind even refused to shape the sentences that he would have liked to speak. Olga held him mute before her for several minutes, and then she said quietly, still keeping her eyes fixed on his, now speak and tell me what you would do if i told you that i preferred alan as a lover to you and that i would rather a thousand times be his slave and plaything than your wife i should say that you are the mistress of my destiny that i have no law but your will and that it is for you to give me joy or pain as seems good to you Sergei spoke the unnatural words in a calm, passionless tone, rather as though he was speaking in a sort of hypnotic trance than in full command of his senses. A strange, subtle influence had been stealing through his veins and over his nerves ever since he had drunk the liquor which Olga had prepared. He seemed perfectly incapable of resisting any suggestion that might have been made to him. His will was paralysed but even the consciousness of this fact was fading from his mind. All his passions were absolutely in abeyance. Even his love for Olga failed to inspire him with any jealous resentment of words which half an hour before would have goaded him to frenzy. He heard them as though they concerned someone else. The ruin of his life's hopes, which they implied so distinctly, had no meaning for him. So far as his volition was concerned, he was an automaton, ready to obey without question the dictates of her imperious will. "'That will do,' said Olga, in the tone of a mistress addressing a servant. "'Now go to bed and sleep well, and remember the work that lies before you to-morrow.' "'I will,' said Sergei, and without another word, without attempting to take his customary good-night kiss, he walked out of the room, leaving her to the enjoyment of her victory and the contemplation of triumphs that now seemed almost certain to her. Punctual to its appointed time, the airship appeared in mid-air over the city a few minutes before ten the next morning. It sank slowly and gracefully to within a hundred feet of the ground over the garden of the hotel in which the two Aryans and their new friends were staying. Signals were rapidly exchanged as before between Alan and one of the crew standing on the after part of the deck. Then it sank down onto one of the snow-covered lawns of the garden, a door opened in the glass covering of the deck, a short, light, folding ladder with handrails dropped out of it to the ground, and Alan, springing up three or four of the steps, held out his hand to Olga, saying, "'Come along. We shall have a crowd around us in another minute.' This was true for the appearance of the airship had already attracted hundreds of people in the streets, and many of them had already made their way into the gardens of the hotel in order to get a closer view of her. Olga, 
feeling not a little like a queen ascending a throne ran lightly up the steps followed by sergey and alexis the moment they got on to the deck the ladder was drawn up the glass door slid noiselessly to and alan at once presented them to his friends on deck while the introductions were taking place the wings of the airship began to vibrate and undulate with a wavy motion from forward aft at first slowly and then more and more swiftly her propeller whirled around and the wonderful craft rose without a jar or a tremor from the earth then the propellers began to revolve faster and faster and she shot forward and upward over the trees amid the admiring murmurs of the crowd in the streets about the hotel but little did those light-hearted sightseers dream any more than did the captain and the crew of the ethereal that this aerial pleasure cruise was destined to mark the beginning of a tragedy that would involve the whole of civilized humanity in a catastrophe so colossal that the like of it had never been seen or even dreamt of on earth before from the wits of a woman and the weakness of a man were now to be evolved the elements of destruction that ere long should lay the world in ruins End of chapter 7